Hey, good morning. If you just got here, my name is Pastor Evan. Thanks for being here. Um, it's nice to be back with you guys again. I was away last week with my wife in Florida, and you're welcome. I brought some of the warm weather back with me, um, but I'm sorry I didn't bring the sunshine, too. So uh, warm weather, a little bit of rain, but I'm happy that you're here today. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, and at this point, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we're still in a major theme of the Gospel of Luke. So if you've been keeping score at home, we, last week we were in Luke chapter 10, and now we're in 16. We're going to keep floating around kind of in this section, but God, this section is really thematically set up by Luke to remind us that God loves the lost. The Bible tells us that everyone born into sin is lost from God from birth, and God loves the lost. As we said before, God only loves the lost because lost people are all that there are. And so last week... Kyle, Pastor Kyle, preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Today we come to another parable, which is commonly referred to as the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a remar remarkable story because it tells, Jesus tells this story to expose a greater point. And what Jesus is trying to help us do is understand what it looks like to live under God's economy. When we use the word economy, you and I often think about money. But teenagers, did you know there's another way you can use the word economy? In 1 Timothy chapter 1 through 4... God's economy, Paul says, refers to his ministration or his plan that he's working out through Jesus. So God has a plan that he's administering, that he's working out through Jesus. And in his economy, in that plan, in that administration, he calls us to live a certain way that's more often than not different than the way the rest of the world lives. And so it changes us. And so today what we're going to see is that God's economy changes the way we use our resources, reverses the way we see the things of this life, and reveals what we really want. So we're going to talk about the resources in God's economy, the reversal of God's economy, and the revelation we get from God's economy. So look again at verse 19 of chapter 16. Talk about the resources in God's economy. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a, laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed what, from what, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs licked, came and licked his sores. God's economy changes how we use our resources. And for us to understand this, Jesus tells a parable. The best modern-day analogy to a parable would be a political cartoon. There's one message that's on the surface, but there's always a deeper message if you take a moment to consider what this is about. So Jesus tells this parable for a number of reasons. And there's the surface reasons, but there's also deeper reasons that Jesus is trying to get to. And in Luke chapter 16, in, this, in context of what's happening here, he tells two parables about money. First, he talks about a dishonest manager. And then he tells this one. And why does Jesus tell this parable? Look at verse 14. If you have your Bibles open, it should also be on the screen. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Did you know that no one in the Bible, no one person in the Bible talks more about money than Jesus? Jesus. 
And did you know that the gospel that talks the most about money than any other gospel is Luke? And yet it's often the people who are closest to Jesus, who sit near his feet and listen to him, are the ones who ridicule him for his teachings. And sometimes that's because we just act like, oh, well, that applies to them or this person or that person who has this money and ha or has this job, but it doesn't really apply to me. And sometimes it's like, pfft. I mean, that was the first century. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to live in the 21st century. Come on, Jesus, get serious. So Jesus drives this point home, and he tells a story that on its surface tells us how to use our resources in God's economy. And he does this through a parable that contrasts a rich man and a poor man. The rich man, which could be anybody, could be any of us, he's not named. And he walks day by day past a poor man who is named Lazarus. In fact, he's the only person in any of Jesus' parables that is named. And that's important, as we'll see, why he does that. But the rich man had great material wealth, right? It says he's clothed in purple and fine linen. What was Lazarus clothed in? Sores. The rich man feasted sumptuously, but what does Lazarus feast on? Crumbs. And even worse, dogs feast on him. And the main contrast that Jesus wants us to see is that the rich man sees himself as the rightful owner of his life. But Lazarus, who is named, his name means God helps. See, the rich man seeks his help in himself and in his resources, but Lazarus seeks help from God alone. Recently, I was driving past the intersection of Grant Avenue and Roosevelt Boulevard, and Philadelphia estimates that over 50,000 cars drive through that intersection every day. 50,000 cars. And there's a man standing in the median asking for money. And I can't imagine how many of us, myself included, when I saw him just kept my head down at the light as he walked past my car. And I'm keeping one eye up on the spotlight, waiting for it to turn green, and my foot is right on the accelerator. And I can't imagine how many people do the same thing. Like, normally, we're all looking at our phones at the stoplight, and we all are like three seconds too late to see the green, so somebody honks behind us to let us know it's time to go. But for whatever reason, when the homeless guy is walking by and asking for money, our eyes are right on that light. We don't miss the green then. And we act like we've been paying attention the whole time. Over 50,000 cars a day pass by that man, mine included. Like he doesn't exist. So when we read this parable, we can beat up on the rich man because it's easy to do so. But how often do you and I pass up opportunities to be generous too? How often do we act like people don't exist? How often have I acted like a homeless man doesn't exist and I just keep walking on by when it would have been fine? I could have given him a few bucks. It would have been fine. Or how many Sundays have you heard the offering talk and just put your head down 
and ignored it. God cares what we do with our resources, especially our financial ones. See, a lot of people want the salary that the CEO has, but don't want to take necessary steps to get to that level. A lot, many of us grew up wanting to play starting quarterback for the Eagles, but we didn't want to take time to throw a football through a tire swing and get a crisp spiral down. Some NFL quarterbacks, frankly, also should have spent more time doing that too. A lot of students want an A, but they aren't willing to put in the work and study. People used to share stories about Kobe Bryant in high school, how he would often shoot hundreds of foul shots every day. He would shoot 100 foul shots, work out for an hour, shoot another 100 foul shots, work out for an hour. And he'd keep doing that all day in high school. Even Kobe knew that if you, you had to do the basics to reach the goal of making the NBA. Like Kobe's not doing 360 dunks, that under the leg dunk thing that he did in the slam dunk contest. He's shooting foul shots, free throws. He's doing the basics. See, to reach any goal, you have to be willing to do the basics first. So many of us, what we want is we want a deeper relationship with God. And we talk about it all the time, oh, I just want to go deeper with God. I want deeper sermons. I want deeper songs. I want a deeper prayer life. But we aren't willing to put in the basics first. We aren't willing to spend the time in prayer and scripture. We aren't willing to make church a priority or community a priority or mercy a priority. And we aren't willing to do the basics of generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 it says that God loves a cheerful giver. Love there, when Paul uses that word love, say loves a cheerful giver, it's agape love. God agape loves a cheerful giver. It means God affectionately, intimately loves those who cheerfully give. Love that's deep. See, we can't expect to go deeper with God if we aren't willing to do the basics for God. Look at me. I'm going to say that again. Look at me. You cannot expect to go deeper with God if you're not willing to do the basics for him. You have to, God asks you to give sacrificially and cheerfully to give of my resources until it pinches and do it with what? A good attitude. Like I don't know, it doesn't matter how much you make or what percentage you give. You can give 1% and have a bad attitude. You can give 30% and have a bad attitude. God wants you to give sacrificially and he wants you to give it cheerfully. That's the basics. But too many of us have the rich man's heart and we just ignore God's commands and we keep our heads down about being generous. And we wonder why our relationship with God doesn't make it past the surface. Why it's so shallow. See, the verse before that, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. God cares what I do with my resources and will never go deeper if our hearts are like the rich man's when it comes to our money. 
And maybe you've been here for a while, and you're like, why does Liberty make such a big deal about this? We're not making a big deal about this. God is making a big deal about this. Because God knows the fastest way to your heart is through your wallet. God says, show me your bank account, show me your credit card statement, and I will tell you what you care about. Because when you give sparingly, you also miss out on the blessing of watching God come through for you. See, Paul says in that, in that chapter, he says, if you give sparingly, you reap sparingly. But he says, if you give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Paul's saying, we're missing out on that deep love, that agape love from God that God wants to show us because we're not willing to do the basics. And I want for you, what I want for myself, what I want for everybody who walks through these doors is deep, intimate, affectionate love with God and from God. We have to be willing to put in the basics because what happens is when we don't give bountifully, we don't actually get to see what it looks like to be someone who, like Lazarus, is one that God helps. Where I'm not relying on my resources, but I'm relying on God to come through. See, when you're generous with your resources, you end up being freed from the fear of not having enough because you learn that God is enough. So, God cares about what we do with our resources, but in his economy. But also there's a reversal that comes with his economy. All right, so look, look as the story continues. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. God's economy reverses the way we see the things of this life. Life after death was something that for the people of God that was revealed over time. So the beginning of Scripture to when Jesus was alive, over time God revealed pieces of information about what the afterlife looked like. And I don't have a ton of time to go over this, and frankly the Bible is less concerned about life after death and more concerned about life after life after death when Jesus returns. God's, the Bible is more interested in that. But at the time of Jesus, the people of God were at a point where they understood that after you died, you go to the place of the dead. So when you have a chart here from Michael Emerson's book, He Descended into Dead. It's a great book about if you want to learn about the doctrine of Christ's descent. But the place of the dead had three sections. And we don't know if the, you know, we don't know much about this. Again, we don't know much about the afterlife, but this was just a general belief, okay? There was Tartarus, which is at the bottom there, and that's where the prison for the fallen angels or demons were. Then there's Hades, and sometimes Hades is referred to as like the general place of the dead, but more often than not, it's referred to as the place where the unrighteous dead go. Hell is what we normally call it. And that's where the rich man is. The rich man is in hell. And then there's Abraham's side or paradise where the righteous go. So when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, he's talking about here. And that's where Lazarus is. So to be clear, Jesus doesn't intend to give us a clear picture of the afterlife from the parable. That's not what parables do. I'm just giving you this so you understand what Jesus is building off of. He's building off a common belief in the, in the first century. 
So last week, he built off a common understanding of the relationship between Jew and, Gentile, uh, Jew and Samaritan. Other places, he built off common beliefs of mustard seeds and trees. Here, he's building off this common belief. Jesus' purpose, though, is not to tell us this, but to show us the reversal of God's economy. See, most of us, like those in Jesus' day, assume that you are blessed by God when you have a lot of earthly stuff. Think about this. Hashtag blessed. When do you use hashtag blessed? Right? When you're on the beach at Cancun and you're like, you see the waters out there and you just see the person's feet, right? Enjoying vacation. Hashtag blessed. I do, I do too. Don't get like, <laughs> I'm not picking on you. Or you get a picture of a fancy food at a restaurant. I was at a restaurant recently with my wife for her, birth, for her birthday, and we were at a nicer restaurant, and I watched these two people right next to us as soon as the food came out, snap the picture. Maybe they posted on Instagram and they said, hashtag blessed. Or we get a new house, hashtag blessed. Or a new car, hashtag blessed. Yo, I just got a new promotion. Hashtag blessed. So it would have been assumed in Jesus' day, like it's assumed in ours, that the rich man was hashtag blessed. And the rich man would end up in paradise. Because that means he was blessed by God. Because he has all these earthly things. And you think about this, the disciples do this elsewhere. They go, well, if rich people can't be saved, then what? Like, we're all done. There's no way we're going to be saved. They believe the rich man was blessed by God, so he would end up in paradise, and Lazarus would end up in Hades, because according to the way the world saw Lazarus, he wasn't blessed. But Jesus, what Jesus does, he turns it on its head he reverses it. He says, in God's economy, the truly rich are those who are rich in God's eyes, despite what the Pharisees or you and I see with ours. They're looking right past the richest people in God's kingdom, the poor, the sick, the lame, and the sinful who put their trust in Jesus. See, the richest people you may ever interact with have little homes but big faith. The richest people you may ever know are those who have busted up cars, but souped up relationships with God. The richest people you might ever see might be the hardest for you to look at, but who are beautiful in the eyes of their creator. In Jesus' parable, Every day, the richest man in the town's economy looks past the richest man in God's economy. How often do we do that? The richest people you and I may ever know may be the people you and I look past the most. You and I just need eyes from the Holy Spirit to see it. And you might be here today life's really beating you down and you have little on earth and life is taking much from you. What Jesus wants you to know is that if you have faith in him, God wants you to know you are truly rich in his eyes. 
you may not see it now. The world may not see it now, but he sees it. And one day, we'll all see it too. And so then, Jesus also shows us a revelation from God's economy. And we look at verse 24. He called out, this is a rich man is calling out, Father Abraham. Notice he doesn't even address Lazarus. Just real quick. He doesn't even address Lazarus. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, right? The reversal right here. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. See the reversal? And besides this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. God's economy reveals that you eventually get what you want. The rich man is in Hades. He's in hell. And his attitude towards Lazarus in that moment reveals a lot about him. He still sees himself as Lazarus's superior. He still thinks he's better than Lazarus. He doesn't even address him. He addresses Abraham, the Jewish patriarch. He still thinks he can boss Lazarus around. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. Right? You would think man in hell would see the chasm. He would be experiencing the flames. He would experience thirst. And he would go, wait a second. I messed up. But instead he says, hey, tell Lazarus to do my bidding for me. He's convinced it's a mistake. Think about it. Did you catch that? He's still, he's convinced this is a mistake. He and Lazarus are in the wrong sections. See, in Scripture, fire is the great revealer. So the fire of hell reveals that the rich man eventually got what he always wanted. He relied on his own strength and his resources, and he wanted life without God before death. So he got what he always wanted after death, life without God. See, if you want life without God, God will allow you to pursue it, and he'll allow you to dedicate your whole life to those things, to the things that are pulling your attention away from him. And the Bible calls that as idolatry, and that's sin. And even though he may allow you to get what you want in this life, he will also allow you to experience the consequences of dedicating your life to those things because it's what you wanted. God allows you to get what you 
want. He allows me to get what I want. So if I want wealth and I dedicate my life to pursuing it, I'll eventually be consumed with greed and enough will never be enough and then I'll have a thirst that can never be quenched by the thing that I want because wealth will never fulfill me in the ways I think it will. And that will leave me empty and in life after death, I'll be thirsty and empty because I got what I wanted. Or if you dedicate your life to work, you'll never get the rest you need emotionally, spiritually, or physically, and you'll become exhausted because the thirst you want quenched can't be satisfied with more work, right? Isn't that the way we do it? We, we love work. We dedicate our lives to that. We dedicate our lives to productivity, and we say we, we're not reaching our goals. We're not, our thirst is not quenched. We're working really hard, and we're exhausted. You know what we should do? Work more. Let's double down on work. Let me answer those emails that don't need to be answered tonight, but I have to do it anyway because I'm in love with work and I'm dedicated to it. And if you live your life like that, you're never going to get the rest you need. So in life after death, what will happen? You'll get eternity without rest. You got what you wanted. Or if you dedicate your life to earning your kids love, parents, You'll never experience satisfaction. Why? Because, like, let's face it, kids, we love you, but you're never satisfied. Right? What made them happy yesterday doesn't make them happy today, right? I love peanut butter and jelly yesterday, but now it's lunchtime again, Dad. Today, I don't love peanut butter and jelly anymore. What? So you'll never be satisfied, and you'll never experience satisfaction. So life after death, what will happen? You won't be satisfied because you dedicate yourself to something that will never be satisfied. You get what you want. If you dedicate your life to politics and earthly kings, you'll get life after death away from the heavenly king. If you dedicate your life to fulfillment through being intimate with another human being, you'll never experience the intimacy of God's agape love for all of eternity. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to warn you here, Jesus is trying to warn you here, that you will get what you want. So if you want the things of this life, you'll get what those consequences are after life. But if you want God, Jesus is saying, you'll get God. If you want Jesus, you'll get Jesus. But if you want anything else, you'll get those things absolutely. But there's consequences to that that you have to realize will be coming to you. And Jesus wants you to realize that. He wants you to realize that the truly lost are those who don't realize that they're lost. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, who's more lost? The hiker who realizes he's lost and tries to get his way out of the woods? Or the hiker who keeps on going, doesn't realize they're lost and just keeps going further and further and deeper and deeper into the woods. Jesus is saying, you're all lost. Pharisees, you're lost. Evan, you're lost. Liberty, you're lost. And you're going to walk further and further into the woods towards those things and dedicate your life to things other than God and you'll get what you want and you'll end up like the rich man unless someone shows you the way out. And so Jesus says in verse 31, he continues the story, 
And Abraham says to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. See, if you get what you want, reject Jesus, it doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead. It doesn't matter. If you reject Jesus now, when you hear Scripture, when you hear Moses, when you hear the prophets, when you hear the Gospels, it won't matter if somebody tries to convince you that he rose from the dead. If you aren't convinced of him now, you won't be convinced of him then. You'll still reject him anyway. See, the real Lazarus in this parable is not you or me. We're the rich man. And we'll always be the rich man. If you're reading this parable and you're like, I'm Lazarus, you're reading it wrong. Because the real Lazarus is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who left his throne, came down to earth, humbled himself, perfectly relied on God the Father for his help, who was crucified outside the gates. And those who rejected him just walked right past him every step of the way, even as he hung on the cross, as he hung on the cross with his body covered in sores. Your sins and my sins and their sins. And like Lazarus, he too descended to the dead. He too went to paradise. He stood by Abraham's side. But then, as the even greater Lazarus, he's risen from the dead so that he can offer you and me a way out from being lost in our sin. See, Jesus went deep into the woods of sin and death to show you how to get out. He did it himself. He didn't just hand you a map. He didn't just say, hey, load up Google Maps or turn on Waze. Maybe that'll get you out. I don't know if Waze does that kind of thing. But he says, hey, don't, I'm not doing that. I'm coming in the woods with you, and I'll walk you out of here. And then he swaps places with us. So instead of us getting the consequences of what we wanted, he gets them. See, the only way you don't get what you want is if Jesus gets what you want. And we get the consequences of what he wanted. He wanted life with God because of what Jesus did for us and he swaps place with us. We get life with God. And we're marked with his name so that when God looks at us, he looks at us and he sees Jesus. And you and I get the name Lazarus. You and I get the name that means God helps. And so when I stand before God one day, you stand before God one day, the way you get this is you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you stand before God one day. God looks at you as someone who just like Lazarus, your name is God helps because you relied on God alone to get you there. See, you and I can now live as those under God's economy. We can have a life of generosity. You can live that life. You can live a life of deep, affectionate, intimate love of God flowing through your veins. You can live a life with eyes that see things and see people the way God sees them. And a life, you can also have a life that's with God rather than one that pushes him out. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you have, you have that life. You can have that life. Jesus makes it possible and he gives you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do those things. You don't have to worry about being generous. Why? Because you have been given everything in Jesus and Jesus gave his life to you and so you don't need anything else. You can be generous. 
You can not put your head down as you, as you drive past Grant Avenue and the boulevard, which is not Route 1, by the way, you suburbanites. It's the boulevard. So the boulevard is that's the, Grant Avenue. You, some of you will catch it on the way home. You don't have to walk past that guy or drive past that guy because you'll see him as Jesus sees him. If you don't have money, you'll, you maybe will roll down your window and you say, hey, man, God loves you. Jesus loves you, and I'm going to be praying for you. And maybe you'll find him later. And you can live a life that instead of pursuing the things that you want, pursues God. You can do that. It's possible. But in order to do that, what I'm challenging you today is to take an audit of your life. Yes, pun intended. Economy, rich man, audit, all intentional. Money language. Take an audit of your life. Are you someone who's living like they're in God's economy? Are you sacrificially, cheerfully generous? If not, you need, I, my challenge to you is just sit down today, look at your budget, and take more than you think you can give away and then try to budget off of that. And if you can't, just chip a little bit away and then budget off of that. But start big and then go down. But tithe first, give first. If that doesn't work, whatever the percentage that is, try and just give a little bit less than that. But some of us go, hey, I'm just going to pay everything else. I'm going to stop at Starbucks. I'm going to eat Chick-fil-A like way too many times. And then I'll see if I have money for God. God says, no, 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 no. In my economy, it's the other way around. Because I gave you everything in Jesus. But no more putting our heads down during generosity. When there's times to be generous, we shoot to be generous. So use the offering talk today. Or today we actually pass the plates again for the first time. We're going to keep doing that. You may give online, but remember why you give every time those plates are passed to you. Remember why you give, because Jesus gave so much for you. And my other question to you in your audit is, who are you walking past that may be the greatest in God's economy? Like, who are the richest people you walk past day in and day out, you ignore, you don't think are worth your time, but truly have the biggest faith, have the deepest love for God, and just by knowing them, it would make your life better. And want, you would want the same. So what will life after death reveal about you? What will it reveal about you? When it's revealed that you got what you wanted, what would that thing be? Will it be that you relied on yourself? Or will it be that you relied on Jesus? So when God says, I'm giving you what you wanted, this is that thing. And for many of us, my hope is that he will also say to us, I'm not going to give you what you wanted because Jesus took what you wanted and I'm going to give you what he wanted instead. See, God's economy, his plan under Jesus is different. It changes the way we look at our resources, especially our financial ones. It reverses the way we see things and people in this life. And in the end, it reveals that what we really want is Jesus or not. So I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to think about that as we continue our service. What do I really want? And will I get that thing? And if I do, what would that look like? So let's pray.
you're here today and you've been chasing everything else besides Jesus. You've dedicated your life to everything else besides him. And in the end, when you stand before God one day, and he, if he were to give you what you wanted, and you were pretty convinced that it would not be Jesus. It would not be that you relied on Jesus this whole time. I invite you now just to give your life over to him, to trust him, and just apologize. But truthfully, for all of us, even if we had never done that, maybe if we'd done that one time or a thousand times, we, each and every day is a challenge for us to rely on Jesus. We don't live as people under God's economy. And so, Father, we ask that you would forgive us. We don't live as people who are under your economy. We live as if our lives depended on ourselves. We don't live as Lazarus or as your son, as one that God helps. But we live as people who seek to help ourselves. We pray that you would not only forgive us, but empower us to live a life that's like, that looks like one that's under your economy. And we thank you so much for Jesus and his rescue of us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.